Welcome to episode 67 of Control the Controllables. Today we have the GB Davis Cup captain, the LTA head of men's tennis, Leon Smith. I don't think he needs a lot of introduction. You guys know the story. He goes into more depth than he ever has before. He speaks about the Davis Cup experience. He speaks about his story from young Scottish coach to be thrown through the ranks to become Davis Cup captain at such a young age. We talk about the British tennis culture. We talk about Heather Watson's comments at the French Open. We talk about so many fantastic topics that I urge you all to listen. And I'm going to pass you over now to Leon Smith. So Leon Smith, welcome to Control the Controllables. Thanks for joining us. Dan, it's been a while coming. Um, you know, you've you've done a, a whole host of these now and finally we've managed to pin down a date and the time to get together. So thanks for asking me. No, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. I think it might be the first OBE that we've had on the show, Leon. So Leon Smith, OBE. I don't know if Jamie is yet or if he's... Yes, if he's he any, is. He is, so you're not the, you're not the first. Um, Thank the, goodness for that. <laughs> the current LTA head of men's tennis and GB Davis Cup captain. And will always go down in history, Leon, as the captain of the 2015... Davis Cup champions and I want to get on to that a little bit later but I guess just to start with as as seems to be with everyone I'm speaking to right now we're in a bit of a mental time how how's your last few months been I think like anyone it's uh there's moments a lot of moments where it's been very challenging um you know but it's forced us to take stock of also, what's important, I mean, you know, there's bits of it, whilst it's been challenges, bits that I've really enjoyed, you know, in our walk of life, Dan, um, especially I, I, I've i chosen to live in Edinburgh uh, with my my wife and three children and not locate to London, where's my normal place of work, uh, even though I'm traveling globally as well. So I've actually managed to spend, obviously, a lot more time back at home in the initial phase of, of lockdown and actually spend, spend time at home an extended period of time. Um, unpacked the suitcase, took the torture bag out of it and actually yeah. been able to, to be at home for a while. So that part of it was really good. But I think also uh, probably feeling a responsibility to try and help people, try and problem solve in the areas that, that we're responsible for has been a, a challenge, a good challenge though for us to work through. Um, I've found that we've been brought together with, with other people that mostly on Zoom or, or similar, of course, but it's people we wouldn't normally spend that much time with. We've actually been spending more time because it's been way more, whether it's workshops, Zoom sessions, reaching out to each other. So that connection's been been positive, but you know, no doubting it's been a challenge. But it's one that I think um, I think we'll learn from and probably use some of the things that have happened through this and what we've introduced we could use longer term. And has it been a time, I guess, that we can talk about tennis as a whole, but then bringing it down to British tennis, where maybe things get scrutinized a little bit more to the detail that we wouldn't normally do. If you're in New York for two weeks and then you're off to Moscow and then your meetings will tend to be quite fast. Have you, have you had a little bit more of a, a review with the team and being able to get down to a little bit more detail? 
I think that's, that's a good point. Um, there's certainly been more time because actually, okay, I think in the first few months it was it had to move at such pace because it was so new, yeah. and no one's ever gone through this, so it was new. It was new issues, um, and we moved quickly. Whether it was to try and support players, coaches, then it was all about trying to get at least one tennis centre in the UK open uh, to see if the government would you know allow us to satisfy what they required. That was the phase of returning to training. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, let's try and get returned to competition. What can we put on? And, you know, Jamie came in with his team of for the Battle of the Brits. We introduced a whole British tour. And then there was a UK Pro Series, which introduced events at St. George's Hill. And all of a sudden this happened. Since then, yes, as, as the workforce has started to come back in, there was a large amount on, on furlough at the LTN of everyone's coming back in. There has definitely been time to to reflect on what's been going on, where are we? Um, and notwithstanding some challenges as well, you know, it's a different world now. Finances will be different moving forward. So of course that, that leads to reviews of what we're doing and how we can be effective moving forward because it will be a challenge for everyone as it has been this year, but but next year is also going to be a challenge. Yeah, and, and, and moving, you, you mentioned it there, the, the Battle of the Brits. I guess watching from afar, I don't think I've ever been so jealous in all my life of that week. I, I, hard, I hardly missed a ball and I was so desperate to be a part of it. And, and there feels as if, and you just touched on it off air a little bit there as well, there seems to be a real feel-good factor right now with British tennis. Everyone's kind of come together. Everyone's on one site you know, how can you explain how that's been with all the players in the Battle of the Brits? Yeah, the, the, you know, there's obviously two Battle of the Brits. There's an individual one near the near the start of the return to competition, um, which was played indoors, uh, a very small group, and and it was great. There was an edge to it. People hadn't played for a long time, so they were desperate to go and compete. Yeah. And you could, even I was watching at home and on the TV, and you just feel that there was there was a good edge. Then, you know, you move forward to the weeks and it was introduced a team event. And I think it's really important to, and this is where, you know, Jamie's been really good, uh, Jamie Murray, you know, in terms of, you know, he's, he's really positioned doubles at being at the forefront of everyone's mind. Uh, you know all about that being double specialist yourself, is that people can relate to team events and it brings a new audience in. And I think trying to be creative, innovative around a different scoring format, something just completely different. You know, the Bulldogs against the Jacks as it was, uh, yeah. it's point system like Ryder Cup. It was, it was brilliant. And the atmosphere was amazing. It, you know, yes, there was trash talking and, yeah. but there's a whole heap of fun, you know, younger players, 17, 18 year olds getting to sit in a bench with Andy Murray for God's sake. I mean, it's like, yeah. And Andy supporting it's amazing what yeah. can happen when and what people can come up with during these challenging times yeah. that, that that will hopefully be replicated again. Um, I mean, I've actually seen off the back of it um, quite a few places spin off across the UK team events that, yeah. that are trying to follow similar suit on it, and I think it's brilliant. Yeah, no, and and that leads me to I mean, I had I had Heather Heather Watson on the show a couple of weeks ago. And I must admit, I was a bit shocked when I when I read her quotes, because for me, one of the things I have to say is British tennis, I think, has come across really well the last few months, you know, and I think there's been a real buzz. OK, obviously, French Open results weren't as good as what people liked on the single side, but it feels like results have been getting better. People are going deeper into 
into the tournament. How how does a comment or comments like that from one of the leading players then affect that feel good factor? Well, I think you know there there was a couple of articles or moments or press conferences that when you actually read through the whole transcript, yep. you know it paints it paints a different picture. The 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 headline quotes are often a far more punchier than actually when you when yep. you look under the the bonnet and start to read what was actually being talked about. Um, but uh, look, I, I, I'm glad you said it. I, look, I'm I, I'm trying not to be biased, but I, I really feel the the spirit and the togetherness in British tennis has moved on so much, so much from yeah. you know. I've been Davis Cup captain ten years, and yeah. it, there, there's more numbers now. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know, French, you get to Roland Garros and people lost in the first round. All right, okay, it 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 everyone's disappointed. Yeah. Because it's a Grand Slam, and you can put it down to matchups or you know whatever it might be, but bad luck, anything. But the fact is, there was numbers. You know, if I wind back the clock to 2012, 2013, I actually remember going to Roland Garros for a Davis Cup captains meeting. And I went there and I think it might have been Wardy or something, actually didn't quite make it into qualies. And Andy had pulled out through injury of, of main draw. I don't know if anyone playing in the singles qualies for yeah. main. That's, that's worse. That's a damn sight worse than... than yeah having several in the main draw that happened to lose. And no yeah. one wants them to lose. We'd love to have better results. But things have moved forwards, but they have to keep moving forwards. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and actually, one of, my, one of my big kind of fond moments also of the French Open was uh, Jamie and Neil playing against the two French guys in the second round of the dubs. And all you could hear was Evo, Johnny O'Mara... <laughs> You know, I actually heard one of them was Jack Sock as well, actually, I think from <laughs> his relationship with Neil. But the, but there's certainly, there seems to be much more of a camaraderie now. You know, even when I go back to when I was playing, it never really felt that people were on our side, you know, the other players. Whereas it, it does, for me, and I always used to look on at the Aussies. I thought the yeah. Aussies have always done that well. You know, they travel in packs and, yeah, and they yeah. always then have that support there. How... How's that come about? Has that been a conscious thing? Has it been a situational thing? But it, it certainly seems to be coming through a little bit louder and clearer. Yeah, I, look, I, I like that. I think actually at the French Open, one of the moments similar to what you've just described there, I quite liked in qualifying. It was, yep. uh, the rain was on, Liam Brody was in qualifying and there's Andy Murray standing in yeah. the rain yeah. supporting Liam. You know, they, and as much, you know, they now, and I genuinely feel, want each other to win and do well. And, and that's a really nice feeling to have. There'll always be a bit of healthy competition between them. That is great. And that's what happens when you have some more numbers in it. But I, I, you can tell. You can tell each, they want each other to do well. There's a whole host of British coaches involved as well, which grows the number as well. So the more, the more British players that are competing, whether it's in men's, women's, juniors, mixed, wheelchair events at the major events that means a lot of the times more British coaches as well are working in that fold and that that number that yeah. just starts to swell which is really important and and the camaraderie is excellent um so I wouldn't let you know a few 
slightly negative one-off quotes, not quite has uh, come a long way over the last uh, several years. No, absolutely. And I would, I would actually, I want to get to it a little bit later, Leon, but I would pinpoint your appointment as Davis Cup captain. And I think I might have even reached out to you at the time. But what your appointment did is it made it possible for young British coaches? You know, whereas, whereas I think there was at that time, it was you either had to be a top, top X player or, mm. or you had to be a superstar superstar international coach who had worked with a top, top player. And no disrespect to your background, but you coming, you know, the hard way of working hard as a young British coach, all of a sudden being given a chance to, to go on and do what you've then done so well. I think it's just you're, you're more attainable <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to, to a lot of people. And then from what I've then seen over the last 10 years is I have seen more and more British coaches coming through more and more British players starting to come through and it feels a little bit more like everyone believes that it can happen. I don't know what you think about that or how you felt from your side. Yeah, well, I hope so because um, I was, you know, I was extremely lucky getting the opportunity. There's no doubt about it. I mean, um, but, but Roger Draper um, and Stephen Martins, who was the sort of technical director at the time, felt that where the where the team was um, and the state of the game was that it was time to try something different. Yeah. Um, and I certainly wasn't the obvious choice. I wasn't that popular choice. Not that I didn't get on with people. It was just that it was a bit left field and there was a bunch of people that had much stronger pedigree, either as coaches or as former players, that would have been more of an obvious choice, would have been a quicker sell to the players. But... Um, you know, and, and and I say I was fortunate as well. I was fortunate because sometimes it's powered by association as well, and you need those sort of breaks. And you know, I had that association with with a young Andy Murray that I was coaching that allows allows you to maybe open up some more doors. But yeah. um, you know, I worked hard with Andy. You know, and but I was still a very young coach, and I got an opportunity. And when you hopefully that allows other British coaches to realise that. You know, sometimes youth, uh, passion, willingness to learn um, can sometimes trump that, that that experience. It doesn't always, but it, sometimes yeah. it can. But you then got to make it happen once you're in that position as well. Because, you know, you don't stay in it unless you go and, you know, roll up your sleeves and try and make something happen. No. And, and before I get into a little bit more of that detail, Leon, I obviously, it was Gary your brother who I used to play a little bit with. So you're, yes. you're the eldest of the three boys. I'm middle. I'm middle. I've got younger brother, Gary, older brother, Toby, both tennis coaches. That's right. So Toby, Toby will thank me for thinking that you were older than Toby. Yeah, he will. Uh, he's going to, he's going to thank you for that. So how, how do three boys get into who all have all been involved in tennis all their life? How do three boys from Glasgow get, get into tennis and for tennis to take over their life? Yeah, you know, it wouldn't be down as a, a tennis mecca, but actually Glasgow, West of Scotland, very good tradition of, of club tennis. Um, yeah. Really strong, good clubs. You've probably seen some of them as well. Yeah. Um, uh, my parents weren't into tennis uh, whatsoever, okay. but um, probably when I was around eight, nine years old, we, we moved house and happened to move directly across uh, a club called Clarkston Tennis Club, literally yeah. across. Bedrooms okay. looking onto the courts, 
and that was it. You know, we tried it out. Um, it helps when you've got uh, siblings you can go with and you can start to merge in. Friendships were born, started to play, the usual stuff, club tennis and American yeah. tournament, just a proper club. And it just grew from there. We played a bit more and... Um, you know, I would say my journey, I was always one of the sort of better ones in Scotland, probably across the juniors. Um, I would uh, make journeys down to Solihull and play in those tournaments. Uh, I would play junior nationals, typically lose first or second round, which is fine. Uh, so I was I was okay as a junior. Um, yeah. And then it got to the end of, end of junior days and realizing that, one, I wasn't dedicated enough and probably wasn't good enough. No, sorry, wasn't good enough. Um, therefore, um, I'd, I'd also not been dedicated at school at all. Um, so I didn't go on to university, didn't have that option. So instead, of course, I love tennis. Um, so my route was going to be a coach. And I, that's, what, that's, that's when my coaching journey started at 18 after school. Um, I left school and I, I got my first job down the road for me, actually not in the club that I, I grew up playing, but one that was two minutes away. And that's where it started on just uh, outdoors, pouring rain, wild conditions across west of Scotland. That was my upbringing for a few years uh, as I started coaching. I smiled because it's unbelievable how many people I've spoken to about their tennis journeys who have said, yeah, I just happened to live next to a tennis court. It's like, it's been quite a common, it's been quite a common theme throughout the podcasts. Of, so that's, and, and that's get, why it's important, isn't it, Dan, to have, absolutely. To, to have courts, to have courts, because yeah. without, without yeah. having something that's accessible, easy, and it was just easy, I could leave the house, yeah. everything absolutely. felt safe, it's across the road, and even it's anything, it's just within a bit of a short yeah. distance, kids can jump on the bike, go and play for a bit, come yeah. back, it's just, that's yeah. it, that's what starts it. Absolutely. And that's what the tennis ecosystem needs. And, and actually me being in Spain now, 10 and a half years, that's what I've noticed in Spain. There's just tennis courts. Random. Yeah. It's random. It's like apartment complex, apartment complex, oh, two tennis courts. And, and, and I guess what they also have is they then have the weather year round. So, yeah. so they basically have 350 days a year where the kids can play tennis for, for very cheap, for it's very accessible. Mm. You know, I, I, don't believe for one moment the coaching's any better over here, but it's just that there's more people <laughs> that have easy accessibility to the sport because there's more courts, there's more tournaments. So you can certainly get into more tournaments. <laughs> so yeah. there's more and more people competing. And then it's, it's no rocket science that then from there, we talked about it before the numbers game, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, yeah, of course. It, 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 kind, it kind of all goes from there. And then in terms of your coaching, how did, did you know Judy before had you started a relationship with Judy? Because Judy obviously approached you, I guess, to, to start working with her young child. Was that from a, a relationship that you already had? Um, I kind of knew Judy because she was, uh, she was actually, when I was playing junior tennis, probably around 13, 14, 15, I remember her being at tournament. She was a coach. It was before she was national coach, but she yeah. was coaching some of Scotland's better juniors and I was playing against them and, uh, I, I always saw her around, and of course, from that, I saw the you know Jamie and Andy around at tournaments. They were very, very young, but I remember them being around as well. Um, and I probably got to a few years into doing sort of grassroots coaching. So when I was about twenty, 
2021, I was still hitting the ball all right, you know. Yep. Um, and I started to work with some sort of county players. Then they became sort of more Scottish national level players. And Judy was national coach. So I would start to be around a little bit more working um, with slightly better juniors. And that got me involved in a bit of the scene. And then it was it was from there Judy started using me for, I mean, a coach's route. You know, I ended up being West of Scotland County coach, you know, doing doing yeah. that. That was it. That was the sort of progression you would go on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then then from that, Judy started to, to use me for a few national programme activity and eventually just said, you know, she obviously felt the time that it would be good for Andy to have just someone else involved um, in his tennis rather than her because he was starting to travel a little bit more as well. So she invited me up to the Ganicky, which is the Stirling University Tennis Centre, and, and we used Dunblane courts as well. And I would go up and I think it was for a few weeks I went up and just hit some tennis balls with him. Got yeah. to know him a little bit. And uh, we got on well. The age gap wasn't so ridiculous. You know, I was still young at the yeah. time. And, uh, and and I think Judy felt that that time this would suit well. And, and she was also focused on her job. She was national coach. She couldn't yeah. just focus on Andy and Jamie. She had a whole programme to run. So it allowed allowed um, me to work that time. I would travel with Andy. Uh, you know, my first... I remember, I'll always remember my first trip with him was the under 12 orange bowl trip and uh i hadn't done any traveling as a coach really none but here i was suddenly gone off and four week trip to miami um you know with one of the favorites you know to when it was great and uh we went to saddlebrook you know which is a famous tennis academy um in florida we spent a week there uh and i was like wow this is it was a different world you know Mm -hmm. completely different world and um, I, uh, we did three or four weeks there. Andy ended up winning the, the 12 and under Orange Bowl. His mum and his gran was there. I remember that. And, um, you know, that was when it probably started to sink home. I've heard Judy say that before as well. You start to realise, oh, okay, this is a bit of a journey now. This, he's, mm-hmm. he's obviously quite good. Yeah. Um, and things started, to, I always think that then things started to move quite quickly after that. Yeah. And how was he in character at that age? And, and what were the challenges working with him at that age? I think he was, you know, he won a lot. He was winning everything. Yeah. You know, you'd have remembered, you know, he was winning, obviously, national championships at home a lot younger than, yeah. than his years. Um, he was always featuring the latter stages of most of the international events he would play in. Um, and he... You know, he was brilliant because you actually saw someone that he never gave up. I mean, he just yeah. competition was never an issue. You know, yes, he had a, a temper and and there were some moments around that, but nothing you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to see because it was just someone fighting and prepared to, to roll up their sleeves and, and, and do what was necessary to win. The challenge, I guess, was, um, you know, as, as someone in my early 20s, you know, you, you, you know, I'm sharing a room with them nearly every week. You can't do that now, mm-hmm. obviously, but... That was, you know, to keep the money and the finances in check, you know, you're away, you know, a lot of time away. Um, that's a challenge because then you have to try and, you know, keep a, a teenager, you know, motivated on, off the court. Um, I wouldn't say at that age, it's completely different now. Obviously, he's one of the best, not just competitors, but he's one of the best trainers yeah. in the world. Back then, he didn't like training as much. It was always around the competition. So it was about trying to, encourage enough work and development to get done uh, away from competition 
and we had to look into a lot of ways to try and get that done. Um, you know, I think Judy was always on the front foot with that. We we made use of a psychologist, actually, a sports psychologist, when probably not that many people were using them that long yeah. ago. And it was about trying to split the, the the individual sessions. We're having them into little components and how to try and keep the motivation throughout a, an hour and a half session. Um, so that, I would say that was the sort of the, the main challenge is... is and with any challenge in, in, in tennis, as the kids are going through things, the, the individual nature of the sport, you know, one of the key things is to keep feeling part of a bigger group. And I think that's something that um, I think we did we did very well. And we're very lucky to have other players around that age. What's Colin Fleming, obviously Jamie Murray with Jamie Baker, yeah. with guy David Culshaw is a good player, with Graham yeah. Hood, Keith Miser. We had a ton of players that Massive, were all good yeah. level. So. Yeah. 13, 14, 15, 16, traveling in sort of packs of yeah, friends. Yeah. Traveling with friends, it made such a difference as they were. Yeah. And uh, I think I listened to when Jamie was perhaps talking to you know, that, these memories of yeah. those car journeys, many vans down, or, or even trips abroad. It was all part of teams. So yeah. that yeah. that's a bit, you know, we refer back to now what we're talking about with the, the current set of the top end of British players yeah. being in amongst and, and a togetherness. They, it, it helps so much when you're away yeah. that much. No, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It would also, if, if someone was to say, what are the four things you've learned about Spanish tennis? You've already nailed one of them. And that would also be the second one for me. And that's, especially on the men's side. I think sometimes the girls are a little, in general, the girls are a little bit different on that. But you, that's what you see all the way through the levels here is they hunt in packs and there's there's yeah. ten of them. There's ten of them from this academy, eight from that academy. You know, they're competing. They're getting stuck in. They're, they're competing on the pool table. Of you know, and and we know it's a lonely world. We know it's a difficult world. So to to be able to have that team environment is massive through all of the levels. And for you personally, Leon, you've obviously, and you've very humbly said you've been given opportunities, but. On the same side, if you don't do a good job, if you weren't doing a good job, you weren't going to be Andy Murray's coach for very long, you know. So, so you, you've obviously learned very fast. For those listening, can you give us any insights into why you've been such a, a quick learner? Any ways that you've gone about that, or has that come natural to you? Um, I think, I think you've got to put your hand up you know, and, and go looking for it as well. Um, I also accepted at the time what I was and I was, I was not, um, even in my, even when I was working with Andy as a, as a, as a, as a young junior player, you know, I, I didn't feel that I was maybe should be around in that scene, you know, where, where others were at LTA national academies. He stayed up in Scotland and we did it. Um, in our in our journey and I had to go and learn and I learned off you know we had good support from LTA national coaches I think they were called rover coaches at the time we used to come and visit and um I had people like Andrew Lewandowski or it was Olga Morozova some of the, yeah. the girls that came up and I would uh that was actually who I went on the first trip with you know you'd, you'd learn you know you got to have a, a willingness to learn and open up um uh and then Judy actually set up so many opportunities as well so you know I was going off with Andy to spend a few days with Bob Brett in Paris when he was in, in the Paris right. Academy of Moratoglu's or I'd go to Sanchez Academy before it became this big thing. We would spend some time there. Um, 
we're setting up these opportunities but you've got to be you've got to be open-minded um you have to and you have to put in the, the hours in the hard yards i mean that never goes away but you really have to to do it and i was prepared and i was prepared to do that you know i think when you're young you it's, it's easier to to go through that as well when you're you know you're not in a relationship or you don't have children or you don't you can you have the yeah. the ability to to be more flexible with your time and, and go away and and, and travel and, and yeah. earn your stripes that way as well and you're also i think not fighting your your views as much when you, you're a bit more of a, a clean slate you know as a, as a young coach yeah. and i would imagine you you probably didn't have your strong philosophies in place so then uh, to then the next question that seems to jump to my mind leon is as you've then made your way through your career, that's been very noticeable that you've continued that, you know, you've continued that trait. Yet I would imagine your philosophies have solidified more. Have you found it harder to learn from people as you've got older? Or have you, how have you managed to keep that open mind? Let's take Davis Cup. You've been able to bring great coaches in around you. Head of, head of men's tennis, you bring great coaches around you. Has that become more challenging? Um... No, no. I think it, depend, it depends what environment it is. But with, with with Davis Cup, you're learning so much off of their, of so many different people. Because that could be the players or their personal coaches. Never mind your own team coaches. Um, uh, in my men's tennis team, you know, we, we, it's changed quite a lot over the years, actually. But I've always really valued quite a a varied team because players are so different in all their approaches and their game styles yeah. and their learning styles that the more diverse your your coaching team can be the better because it's, mm -hmm. it's not going to be one if you're so strong in a philosophy there's, there's definitely strength in having a philosophy or principles yes but you still need to uh, adapt so much depending on one player or even their confidence levels or how they're learning or how so i've always valued having variety i mean i think um the confidence grows as time goes on, and obviously, if you have some form of success, then you're you do you're, you're you become more confident in what you're seeing and what you believe in your values and beliefs more than like a coaching philosophy. More than yeah. you know, people sometimes think a coaching philosophy is a, is a how to play the game. It's not a coaching philosophy. It's how you teach, um, how you set up environments, how you how you get someone to experience something. You know, it's not necessarily saying this is how I teach a forehand because there's so many different forehands and different ways of doing it. It's it's different yeah. to that. Um, so I think my my thirst for learning though doesn't doesn't stop. It might be just in different areas because it's different demands or different responsibilities I might have now. Yeah. So whilst I was a young coach working with a young Andy Murray, I needed to learn much more about game development or scheduling through that junior transition onto pros that's stuff i need to learn very much from more tennis experienced people uh or you start to learn more about strength conditioning etc now i need to learn more about maybe leadership or influencing others or a bit more strategic thinking or whatever it would be so then i have to expand or, or broaden those people i lean on for that and and now i find myself spending more time with with business leaders as well uh people in different fields different areas of work to try and help broaden my understanding of of how to lead yeah. and do you miss being on court day to day 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it kind of it swings. It depends what's on. I mean, this week, um, depends who asks for my help. You know, not everyone asks for my help, which is fine. I don't take that personally. They've all got great coaches. But, you know, this week I've, I've been on with uh, someone like Wardy, who I've known for a long time. You know, he's not got a permanent coach right now. He works a bit with Ben Harron, but he's, you know, got other things. So then I got on court and I'm on with Wardy and Cam Norrie. Then I stay on and watch a bit with Andy and what he's doing with, with Delgate. So I, I still feel a connection because I'm at the tennis centre and, and people are using it more now. So if I can do, you know, two or three hours a day on the court and the rest off it, that feels like a good balance. Yeah. But I also have to accept what I'm doing now is a bit different. Um, and uh, I do get pulled off court a little bit more. So, yeah, I do I do miss it. I also, I miss the way the Davis Cup is set up. I mean, the finals are were great, but, you know, in old money before it changed format, you know, it was maybe two, three, four ties a year, which yeah. ends up being about six to ten weeks where you're actually yeah. in that around and it's a bit of a build-up, so it felt more of a an all-year-round role. So that's kind of changed a little bit as well. Yeah, and that actually leads me on to what I wanted to ask you about next was around culture. And, and again, from, from the outside, it feels to me like... Let me actually go back a step. I had, I had, um, I had the CEO of Gymshark... Who on on the on the show last week, um, Steve Hewitt, and he spoke about he spoke about the culture that they've created at Gymshark, which is one of the fastest growing businesses mm. in the UK, and he he said one thing that really stuck with me, and I, I'd like to relate that to what I think you've created with the Davis Cup team. He said we want to have a business that everybody wants to be a part of it, and nobody wants to leave it. You know, mm. and, and even the the little I know of the Gymshark brand, and I've been fortunate enough to go to their offices, you do leave there going, oh, I'd love to work for them. Oh, how cool would that be? And, and I think that's really something that you've done a great job of, and you and your team have done a great job of, that being part of the GB Davis Cup team is something that everybody wants, in, not just because it's Davis Cup, but because it seems fun. It seems like you guys are, are really together. It feels like then once you're in, you'll do everything you can to fight to stay in. So how, how have you created that over the last 10 years? Uh, it's a really good question. Um, you know, in the first instance, let's be honest, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You yeah. know, suddenly I got this, this, this opportunity. I, I said no the first time I was asked to do it. So I was like, okay. that, that's ridiculous. That, there's, there's a ton of people. There's a ton of yeah, people, yeah. and you and you worry about what are people going to think. You know, players, what are media going to say, and uh, you know, whether it was fear or whatever else, I was just like, no, 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 come on. But then obviously I spoke to some people. They sort of give you some confidence. Judy was one of them as well, and you just like, look, just give it a go. Give it a go. It's the the right at the bottom. The team. Um, think about your strengths. You. I think one of the things I've always managed to do, a very good motivator. Yep. I might not have the knowledge of, you know, walking out on centre court Wimbledon and being able to showcase amazing results on an international stage as a player, or even at that time as a coach. But I could always motivate. Um, I can talk to people. I can learn. I can surround myself with, with good people that are better than me. Yep. Um, I can show the players that I care. So in terms of building a culture environment, when I look back now, you know, there was um, our first tie was at Eastbourne against Turkey uh, in 2010, July. 
I mean, I, I swear, Dan, I didn't know what was going on, really. Yeah, yeah. I had a couple of insights. I was lucky, actually. I had a couple of insights because I was coaching Andy when he got his first couple of call-ups. And um, uh, Jeremy Bates, who was captain at the time, was great. So he actually asked me to come in as a okay. sort of uh, water boy, almost, you know, which yeah. was great. So I was in, and I, and I could actually, at least I had a bit of a, a, an eye open as what Davis Cup was. Yeah. So, but then I get in there and, I guess some of the things where like, I knew where we wanted to go, um, and I knew the bits that I could and couldn't do. So I made it that we were going to be an amazing team spirit. So it was talked about right at the start. It wasn't, you know, everyone talks about team culture and team building, but you got to really work at it. So, you know, we had this thing that talked about where our vision was going to be, and we we're going to be this uh, well-prepared team on a journey back to the world group. That was our thing. We we're going to be a well-prepared team yeah. so i looked at how to, how are we going to prepare great uh that's ourselves and how you prepare against opponents team was big capital letters we were going to be an amazing team i wasn't actually sure when i uh, when i wrote that on a flip chart before the players got i didn't actually know how we we're going to do it but i knew mm -hmm. that's what we wanted yeah. uh and, and the last bit was going to be a journey it was a journey back to the world group the journey because i knew you can't just yeah. flick a switch and we're going to get there we're years away from it so that was it. So at least I kind of I had a, a vision of what we wanted. Then, then to create a culture was, was certainly not about me. Uh, I had an idea, but then it's how, who do you surround yourself with? So uh, pretty much all the sort of support staff that were around were people that maybe hadn't been given an opportunity before. British coaches that hadn't been part of the setup, um, you know, had maybe been overlooked by international coaches as well that were brought in by the LTA. So I thought, you know, I knew these people were ready to just do whatever they want, do what you can for British tennis. They would go the extra mile. They knew the players. They cared about the players. Perfect. Okay, that's already a win. Then you need to bring in some real characters. People are going to be like, you know, you just know they can motivate brilliantly. People like Matt Little. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. I mean, the guy is so funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, one, he's great at his job. He's so funny. Guys like Colin yeah. Beach, your amazing team spirit. You also yeah. need to make sure you've got people that, that, that add a real important value in it from a coaching sense as well. And that's like Louis Caillé, yeah. you know, was brought in right at the start, wasn't being used as much before. I was like, no, come on, doubles are so important. Get this guy in. That can add value straight away. Da -da 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 -da. And you start to build this. So that, was, that when people came in, they would have a great time and they would learn. So that's a good start. Then we could go around preparing. So preparing is you know, we'll automatically think, oh, let's scout opponents. Well, that's one part of it. That's that's one part, and let's do that well. Because, of course, when you're underdogs a lot of times, the more that you can have information on someone, the better chance you have of creating an upset. So that was one thing we're going to do. But it's about knowing, first and foremost, your own players and getting to know them as people. And I went everywhere to go and watch them play. And it yeah. sounds like great fun. Oh, let's just jet around the place. It wasn't always to Grand Slams because our players weren't playing Grand Slams when I first took off. The job it was uh challenges in places like Rimouski in canada canada and you know driving wardy and this i remember this unbelievably heavy snow for hours and end going from montreal airport to Rimouski, and you just that all year round just going places getting to know them so they know that you you're really invested in them and their personal coaches and and so once you gain that trust because look if someone you know it if someone's been a high-end former player I get it. They can walk in and, and command a room very quickly with a few statements. I've got to go with a bit more. I've got to go with some more evidence, more trust, more relationship. You know, 
and then so that's how it started um and then we just built on that we built on the fact that we were really well prepared there was trust uh there was fun there was team spirit um and then of course we we started to win when yeah. from winning people started to buy into it yeah. people want to be part of it because you know we start at a very empty stadium in uh in devonshire gardens against these against turkey and eastbourne and it's starting to get a little bit bigger yeah. and they played a couple of ties in glasgow be in a small venue the atmosphere started to build oh my god we're starting to go up the divisions everyone wants to be part of it it was fun it was winning and momentum's an amazing thing, and we got momentum. Um, and there's, uh, yeah, there's so many. You no, know, there's just so many things in that, Leon. Like it's that little snippet there for all coaches, players, parents to listen to, because it's even if we go to a, a micro level of of club tennis or of county tennis or of regional tennis, I think there's we're very guilty of the the player if a player's any good they they tend to in a, in an area go to the experienced coach mm. and, and like I actually said to, to one of my coaches yesterday I had a kind of one-on-one -on -one chat with them and I honestly think I was better set up age 26 to develop a 10 year old along a journey than I am now mm -hmm. <laughs> because because what I don't have now is I don't have the time to invest in it. So I can dip in and play a mentor role with that. But at 26, I was I was there every day. I was I was able to speak to the parents for half an hour every day. I was able to build the relationship strong. And and, and again, for me, from the outside, uh, well, I, I was on the inside as a player, Davis Cup used to infuriate me because there was these big names that were the captains. And they never saw me play a flipping match. They they didn't know me. They would walk past me, but I was British number one. And it was like, and and I my reflection is okay. I was British number one at one fifty in the world. So okay, that's yeah. I, but, I don't, no, yeah. but but have a conversation with me. Get to know me. You know, maybe understand if I might be a good team member. You know, see. You know, get the, the nuances of of the player and that was very much recognized again by me Leon when you took over I was like finally we have someone so even though it, you, you say you didn't know what you were doing it was it was genius by Roger Draper because the things that you brought as a an inexperienced coach who was just ready to just give your all was was exactly what I believe teams need and, and cultures do need now if you'd come in with a big ego and you hadn't brought in people around you then it, it's it's not it's not going to work but that would be something i would even like to say go down to a micro level of an academy mm. the best thing i did at the academy is i brought in a couple of more experienced coaches than me that i believe are better tennis coaches than me the best thing that i ever did when i was the best coach and most experienced was a nightmare because every everyone wanted to come to me and i didn't have all the answers you know, now yeah, but you're, you're right, but you're right, Dan, it's, and, and, and that's what, like, I, it resonates loud and clear, but you, you need a balance of people in your team, yeah. you know, whether that's the playing or support staff or the coaching team or whoever's, you know, running it as a business, well, you need it, you need it, no one's got the all the skill sets necessary to cover every single base, so yeah. you, you need to, you're relying on so many different people throughout any team that you're part of or any part of the business, so I get exactly what you're saying, and I think, you know, that that journey, no matter what, 
is that you you can't beat positivity either. No. You know, to get that culture, we, we might not have had the right strategy at the start, but we certainly had a culture. Mm. Then you start to, we, we started to really think about things and we mastered the techniques and what, what we were doing. We got a bit better at every little component yeah. of what we were doing. But you can't, you can't beat having positivity. And that, yeah. there's little nuggets that come along the way. You know, there's been a couple of ties where I think I just need to lift the spirit a little bit. Or it might be, depending on who's in the team, you might need some different characters just to make sure the team's spirit's up. You know, I brought in, you know, people like Johnny O'Mara to, to one of the yeah, ties yeah. recently. And he was just like gold dust. I mean, he was like, just, you know, life and soul just brought another thing. But you just got, you got to keep having your radar for what's needed at that moment in time yeah. just to keep keep the momentum going. Yeah. But how, so, so then, and obviously you had the relationship with him from when he was younger, but tennis is an individual sport. So, so then bringing in individuals into the team, how, how did you manage Andy throughout that process? Because at that time as well, he was full on world number one or going for world number one. I would imagine his mind was also distracted or, or Davis Cup could be a distraction. Um, how how hmm. did you manage to get him on board with that? No, I think uh, I think like like th that that time was an interesting time with Andy because he at the start of it it wasn't like he was saying oh, oh Leon's definitely the right guy for the, for the job not at all yeah. you know would have been skeptical and rightly skeptical um, you know he didn't want to look like at the time it was the LTA just doing it so they got you know Andy's former childhood coach and so he'd play more yeah. you know was the obvious sort of headline but yeah, yeah. it wasn't like that he you know he didn't he didn't play in the first uh what two ties um we played in glasgow um i think he played against uh well, let me think luxembourg and hungary when we played in brayhead arena he played um yeah i do remember that because one match against Gilles miller high quality match actually yeah. even the lower divisions and he loved it. He had a great time, you know, which was good. He saw what we were doing. He saw how we were preparing. Smart move, by the way, bringing it to yeah. Scotland as well. Bringing it to Scotland was a good move, believe <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. He, was, he, got, he, got, he got emotional that day. Very he emotional, he did. He cried his eyes um, out, didn't he, after? Yeah. I remember uh, Rob Curling trying to interview uh, him for Eurosport. And it was, but it meant a lot. And, and you know, yeah. that that's also part of captain's role. You, you know, you got to try and think about where you play them and what's the right size of venue and you know what surface that's the conversations go on you know how much sand do we put in the paint mix depending who's playing on the on in, yeah, yeah. in your team is it a faster indoor hardcore slower indoor hardcore what do you want what type of ball are we going to use um you never said so, indoor clay you never mentioned indoor clay leon no, <laughs> it wasn't an we option <laughs> we weren't we weren't going to choose that there's been a couple of times where we've been happy to play on it you know you know i remember you know when we found out that uh the USA in 2014 decided to play uh, us mm. on on clay in San Diego in a baseball stadium. We were like, that's an interesting decision. <laughs> that kind of favoured us. So um, no, it would normally be indoor indoor hard for us. But but with Andy, it, it, you know, again, he as the team went on that that phase, he played a couple of ones when we were in the lower division, and it was great. And then he took a bit of a gap from it, rightly, because he was on that journey and it was really open conversations look I, I i need to i need to focus on trying to win slams yeah. you know he started with ivan blendo as well and, and the team and they were right to do that and we had to 
it was a good opportunity though for the team to go you know what we're doing some things well and it gave these players like Evo and and, and Wardy Jamie Baker a whole raft of doubles players you know Flembo and Ross Hutchins Johnny Mary etc Skupskis um the chance to play in, in, in actual, you know, best of five set matches, as was the format then, which they wouldn't be doing unless they got a wild card at Wimbledon. And they got these chances to play in front of crowds, which no chance they're normally doing. So what an, what an amazing opportunity yep. to get your level up, you know. And um, I remember, you know, we played um, Slovakia. Tie was an important one because it got his momentum, it got his uh, promotion into yeah. Division 1. You know, so that was a Division 2 playoff. And, you know, I had the conversation with Andy and he wasn't going to play, you know, which was absolutely right decision at the time. So it was, you know, they had a good team. They had Lucas Lashko yeah. uh, and they had um, Klezan. Yeah. You know, Milislav Michies is captain. You're like, whoa, this is, this is mm-hmm. the heavy hitters now. And, uh, you know, we had Evo, Wardy, weren't quite where they're at or have had been. Um, you know, it was a big challenge and, you know, actually it was Evo played unbelievable that yeah, weekend. Did, yeah. You know, two amazing wins. Suddenly, you know, with a doubles team that kept winning, this was the beauty of having doubles choices yeah. now as well. You know, yeah, Louis, yeah. losing a doubles rubber. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you got that, you almost felt like that was a banker, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then you needed someone to step up and have an amazing weekend. You know, we've had it, whether it's been Evo before, Wardy's had amazing moments, of course. So we managed to get that uh, out of them and it was amazing. They were, they've been so good. So that took us into um, into Division 1, sorry, Division 2 into Division 1. Then we were playing Russia in Division 1. We had a bye, we were playing Russia. And we're like, oh my yeah. God. I remember the conversation with yeah. both Andy and Ivan and they're like, you know, and the good news or the bad news when I called them in December about the April tie and it was like, we're not going to play, can't play in the April tie, you know, but whatever happens, I'll play later in the year. And we're like, okay, sure. And I'm putting the phone down thinking, ah, Christ, we've got Russia. Uh, and our guys actually weren't playing well at the time. You know, our, yeah. our guys were a bit struggling then. You know, Evo dropped, you know, considerably. Evo, Evo had been out, hadn't he? Evo wasn't in the yeah. squad, was he? Evo wasn't in the squad for that. He came and practiced with you guys and then you, yeah, he was. you brought him he in. Was. We yeah, I just I just felt that I needed to to throw the dice. So and you know he wasn't in the original um, squad, and I brought him in one day um, yeah. off the cuff, yeah. and I just thought, well, actually the first day he came in, I think he lost to actually one of our doubles players, Colin Fleming, like six love uh, in practice. But the he's, next day he's he told me he got, the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he got better a lot quicker, and and, it, yeah. and I, I made a I made a call which wasn't an easy one because it's never. You know the difficult part of the job is is telling people, you know, they're not playing right. um, because because Davis Cup is now, but it was as well such a big moment for these players when they're yeah. not in the top hundred. It's a big moment, and you're yeah. you're really delivering some pretty harsh news. And it's part yeah. of, part of the captaincy that you have to take on is delivering that. And I've had a couple of tough conversations with people, uh, and even bigger moments than that. But that that decision paid off. And the reason I'm saying this this story around that one is because that I think. Andy, you know, whilst he sat out in that, was a big moment, Russia, you know, because both Wardy and, and Evo and the doubles, but Wardy and Evo in particular in the singles, the, you know, their first day against Russia, they played their hearts out against uh, Tursunov and Donskoy. They were amazing. That's right, yeah. But they both lost in five sets. That's it was right. 11, and, 11 and a half hours 
on the court. My eyes were bloodshot. Everyone was drained. We always have a motto is that the, the team bench needs to be as spent as the on-court players. Yeah. Everyone was dead. No one's got any voice left, and it's only Friday night. We go back, and we had some very late-night supper around midnight, and uh, you try and G them up. We clapped them into the team room because we're so proud of their efforts, totally upstaging the rankings to get so close to these top 50, top 80 players. Next day, uh, Mary Fleming got win the doubles. Amazing, brilliant performance. So there's a chance. And then Wardy plays a joke match to beat Tursunov. Uh, it was amazing off the back of what he did on Friday. You yeah. know, physically to go out again. He ended up on a drip that night. He'd emptied right, okay. the tank completely from Friday. And so he was on a drip, hostile, huh. done. And then Evo went out in the final match and beat a, a, a very much informed Donskoy. You know, he'd pushed Andy in recent weeks, I think, in Indian Wells, a three-set match. He went out and destroyed him. It was a big moment. Andy spoke to us afterwards, you know, by the telephone in, in the locker room. You know, just proud. You could just... Yeah, yeah. He was proud. He'd obviously watched every match, and he was yeah, proud yeah. of them. And then, of course, it was like, well, I hope I get picked for September. And you're like, you're yeah, damn right you're in. And off we went <laughs> yeah. to Croatia. And, you know, then, then you know, we managed to get, get through the Croatia one. And it was superb. And that, that's when the World Group started for us again. I could listen to these stories all day, Leon. I was going to ask, what's your best experience, Davis Cup experience? But I think you've outside of winning it, because I think obviously we know we yeah. know how amazing that must have been. But I think you've kind of answered that with that that Russia tie is has filled the listeners with that. But the what the one for me, I remember when the World Group tie because it did it captured. Obviously, I'm a I'm a British tennis player coach, and I'm obsessed with it. But I, I do think it captured everyone. And when the world the World Group draw came out, all I thought to myself is not USA. And, and and I just because I, I because I think we all knew the recipe, the recipe was two Andes and a doubles, you know, in the world group, you know, and it was like, well, we don't want to play the Bryans, you know, that kind mm. of ju that jumped to mind for me. And I remember when the USA came out of the hat, I was like, oh, no. And mm. then for me, not to ever take anything away from the rest of the team or obviously from Andy, who was just an absolute robot in those times. But the James Ward match against John Isner, for me, I remember that night saying, "They're gonna, we're gonna win, that we're gonna win the Davis Cup this year." It really felt like it to that that, and I know you couldn't get that far ahead of yourself. What's your memory of that Ward Isner match? Uh, it was bonkers, you know. Um, that whole tie was actually pretty bonkers because, uh, you know, Andy and Jamie hadn't been back in in Glasgow since becoming like slam champion you know and it was it it was a big stadium it felt proper you know it was like 9000 stadium beautiful arena actually the Emirates arena in Glasgow and we've used it many times since and the the, the sense of occasion was was so big I mean, Andy and Jimmy and obviously Andy in particular he it's a mega star in Scotland so I remember the opening ceremony and it was so loud you know I think yeah. I actually walked I think it was Dom Inglot that was walking with me as we got uh, called out on to, before the national anthems and he just went oh my god you know we're standing there the knees are shaking as the anthem's going like this 
it felt this is what yeah. it should feel like. This is it. Yeah, it was proper, yeah. And uh, well, Wardy, I mean, I think you know, a Glasgow night going into about half ten, eleven o'clock at night. You know, everyone's had a few beers. The, the you know the Sterling Uni crowd were getting louder and louder, but the whole fan base was it was brilliant. What an atmosphere! And from two sets down, you know, he fought so hard. My memories will be, you know, the whole bench, the whole atmosphere, the the, the crowd. Andy just going mental. Um, you know, it was it was one of the most amazing comebacks. You know, and and ranking deficits to be a you know a proper top twenty player. Mm. You know. And to be able to grind him down physically as he did, I think it was amazing. You know, it was uh, yeah, that was a, it was a special one. I think, but what I think was nice is that that that's such a special match, and you know, Andy, without Andy, of course, we, there's no chance we win it. Of course, that's not disrespectful. You need something like that, but everybody's played a part. Everybody yeah, yeah. played a played a part on us being able to lift, you know, lift the Davis Cup. You know, from from what Evo did, you know, we talk about in Slovakia. You can go all the way back. You couldn't get there now without those moments. And that was another moment. That was another moment that the Wardy contributed to. Well, I always, I always laugh because I lived with Ken Skopsky in uh, in college. We we <laughs> lived we lived together for what the last six or twelve months, and at LSU. And I always laugh and joke with him because when you won the Davis Cup, I think you were the first person on Andy. Followed by Ken. Yeah, it was the two slowest guys in the whole team. That's yeah. what's amazing. You know, Ken won't mind me saying that. And I don't know how I was faster than I was. Just, I was a bit nearer. That's all. But yeah, uh, yeah Ken, that's that's another example. We took Ken there um, as a as a hitting partner. They had uh, Bellman's that was in their team, so we needed a, a lefty uh, to come with uh, for certain practice return practice and Ken was brilliant you know Ken's like a proper football guy you know yeah, he was yeah. there I can, I can picture the, the, <laughs> our team winning he's got his, his scarf up above his head you know? yeah, yeah. It, was, it was brilliant, brilliant well, and, and, and what's nice about him he, he played in my first exactly yeah yeah so that, it, it did that circle really nice. yeah it's really nice to yeah. keep people involved and, and feel part of the journey yeah. as well. he's also a US college guy I, I remember he said to me he was like just, everyone was just being so polite in college. Nobody's polite. Everyone just charges. Because uh, I said to him, "How the hell were you the first? You know, how did you get there first? And he said, "I just said, I just jumped over and set off, and everyone else was everyone else was waiting." Well, we, not, we we quickly got thrown off, Andy. One because he was claustrophobic, and two, uh, he did the right thing. Where none of us, none of none of us thought about it was to go and make sure we do the right thing by our opposition yeah. and go and shake their hand yeah. they would have been feeling dreadful uh, so yeah he, he led the way on that one the ultra professional and um, to move into your LTA men's head head role yeah what what is the role what does the role entail that's a, it's, that's a good question and uh, it, it's it's good to be able to explain it. The role, the role covers quite a few areas, and it's changed a little bit over the years. Again, I've done this the same time scale as Davis Cup, so it's like I'm moving into the eleventh year of it. The role is um, typically when the players get to sixteen years old and above. So there's always a few players underneath that that, that come into the radar a little bit earlier, but typically from sixteen plus. And we have some programs that we fund. Um, one is called uh, PSP, which is acronym for Pro Scholarship Program. Another one is uh, Men's and Women's Program, which sits underneath that. 
um, and we select players onto these programs. We offer some some funding, also some value and kind support through science and medicine. We offer. Uh, I have a small team of coaches that work with me that that then go and work with these players and their personal coaches. Player coaching the team is now someone like uh, Louis Caillé, who predominantly does the the doubles program for us, which we're very proud of. So that's one wing of what we do in men's tennis is the doubles program, uh, which Louis leads on. Others is the PSP, which I've got two coaches that, that work with the group of players. And that, that's a guy, James Trotman, and another coach called Alex Lazicki. And then we have a men's and women's program, which I have someone called uh, Martin Weston, who works on with a, with a group of players. Um, and that's about us giving some way, working with the coaches, trying to add value to what they're doing in their day-to-day coaching. On top of that, we try our best and can always do better to keep our radar up of those players that are not in those programs. Yeah. And that comes in different ways. There's some players now at national academies. So we have to make sure we've got a good information on what's happening at national academies. We have to uh, keep an eye on other players who either decide not to go to a national academy or haven't been selected yet for one of the programs. So we have to keep our radar up. How do we do that? We do that by going out to see them, going to a lot of tournaments, making sure we're good visibility at tournaments. So we can, we do a lot of um, scouting now. So players that are on the program or that could be close to the program in the future, we try and gather a lot of information on them, match footage, information, match reports, so that we can give everyone a fair chance when it comes around to selection that we have seen them. You talked about people you know, maybe before I'm not coming to say hello who you are, we try to see as much as possible. We can't see everyone all of the time, yeah. but enough of the time. We um, we have to do some of the tasks, which are sometimes popular, depending which way the decisions go or not go. We decide on the wild cards across all the events in the UK. Uh, that's ranging from whether it's Queens or recommended to Wimbledon or down to ITF Junior uh, yeah. events. That's That's what we do. We work closely with uh, everything that happens at the National Tennis Centre. So the running of that is uh, is a really great destination for our players. Um, so having you know good base coaching, good hitting partners, the right right science and medicine support, uh, the right court surfaces, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. is is part of what we do. We are starting more and more, and this is where space you would know extremely well. Is making sure that we have a good handle on on who's who's doing what in U.S. college set up um because that's that's been a very very viable route now for the players we've seen it from from cam nori obviously from so many great doubles players and scupskis to uh, obviously more recently joe salisbury and his great success dom inglot the list goes on and paul job coming onto the, yeah. the, the the psp program from that now so there's a lot of good players in the college system and there's a lot of players about to go, a lot of good players yeah. about to go as well. So it's how we then support so they feel connected. Yeah. Um, so there, there, there's some of the examples of, of what we yeah. do. Um, but men's, men's team, essentially, it's part of a, a performance setup at the LTA, but men's yeah. tennis is quite a small team in itself of yeah. about five people. Yeah. But again, I would say, Leon, how, how far that's come, because I, if I go back... And I'm I'm getting older, but it was only, I say only, it was a lot, 17 years ago when I came out of college, 17, 18 years ago. And I remember, and again, I won't go into names, but I remember being asked, are you still playing tennis? Mm, (laughs) And and, and I just, so that was where the culture was, you know, so in, in terms of, you know, having the hands very much on that, and obviously technology helps with that and times have evolved. It's, it's great to see that, 
everyone's open to the to to the different pathways. If I do kind of delve into, and I think it's, I would imagine it's harder to set. But when we talk about the Davis Cup culture that's been set so well, you know how how do you build a, a, a culture in an individual sport <laughs> as as head of the men's mm. tennis? You know, how do you build a culture within that or have you been able to and, and what is it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an important part because it, I value it, we value it. We value the fact of it, it, even though it's an individual sport, I think it helps everybody if there's a togetherness um, and, an, and a positive atmosphere. Yeah. How do we do that? We're relying on others. You're relying on the players. You're relying on the players to, to want to be part of something and to come back into something. Um, you're relying on their personal coaches. Therefore, how do you try and help facilitate? That's all we become in this space. Yeah. We try to be really good at facilitating opportunities to get together. Um, I, you, you talked about you know the partnership between Jamie and the LTA and what was run at Battle of the Brits, the team event. That's a great example. Yeah. That creates such a positive team environment. And it's a Massive. big focus yeah. of what we're doing at, at the National Tennis Centre, NTC. Get the right facilities down, the right environment, um, a, a performance feel, so that whether you're Andy Murray or a Paul Job or an Emma Raducanu, whoever it might be, they choose to train there very yeah. often because then you're together. And I see it today. Andy Murray sitting with Emma Raducanu today. How yeah, good's yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Good is that for her? You know, we've got, yeah. you know, Wardy's on hitting with with Cam Norrie. I saw um, Katie Bolter and uh, I think it was Harriet Dart hitting yesterday. Bring together, mm -hmm. bring the more that comes together. It's not just the players because then all the personal coaches together, yeah, yeah. all the physios, all the SNC coaches. Suddenly that number grows and grows, yeah. and you just spend more time. and And then there's opportunities we've had before. Is that even though it's individual and people going there, we go to, we've used IMG before in Bradenton for pre-season training. Yep. So because it's individual and people going in different schedules, yes, Grand Slams create some moments to do something. Team dinners, let's go out, take the yep. coaches out, take the players out. That's kind of our, that's where I would come in and try and set things up. Um, we, when we do pre-season, people are going there, we try and encourage everyone to try and assemble where we can. Doubles players have done it um, in, in Boca. We send Louis, we send a physio to try and gel it together. Okay, that brings everyone together. The same at IMG. We'll take physio, nutritionist, um, we'll book the, the, the villas for them. We'll, we'll do what we can to bring everyone together. Then the, then you've got opportunities to do team building stuff, team games, you know, golf yeah. evenings, whatever it is around it. But it's not one thing. It's looking for opportunities that we try and facilitate this, this team building. Yeah, very good. And and when we call it British tennis or the LTA, the LTA, yeah. which has been that kind of you used a word there which and you've used it a lot today, Leon, which I like a lot, positivity, you know, and I can I can hear it in your voice, I can hear it in your stories, we can see it from what's what's being created. Every person that you give an opportunity to, there's there's 10, 15, 20, 30 that that think they should have an opportunity. And, and it's such a, it's almost a thankless task being in a position like yourself in, in some ways, because you're always pissing somebody off, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so and, and by always pissing somebody off, 
there, there then is this battle of, 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 of a negative culture almost. It's almost like a green haze that sits around it, you know, which I'm sure you'll feel it, feel at certain times. And I dread to think what your inbox looks like or some of your coaches' inboxes look like at times. How, how have you, one, been able to deal with that? And two, I guess, what would your message be around that? You know, I think it's a really valid point, and and you know, I, you know, I I I am proud to work for the LTA. I love yeah. it. It's 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 a it's an organisation that's that's given me an amazing opportunity, and yeah. it, despite what everyone thinks, really does care about what happens in tennis in this country. Um, you know, and I, it's it, and so therefore you have to accept that because. You're at the LTA, of course, because decisions don't, you can only make some of the people happy some of the time, then of course people are going to um, point the finger at decisions, selections, and that, that comes with taking on the responsibility of leading one of the areas of that, which is fine. And I, I totally accept and respect people's point of view. With that said, what, what we're trying to do is that, a bit of an example, let's say around when we, when we make decisions onto a program, that's always one that could be contentious. Oh, you picked that player, age 16, but not the other one. We think, well, I think if we can show that we've done due diligence, that we have yeah. watched someone enough, yeah. that we, have, we, are, we can explain how we gather our evidence to form a decision, yeah. if that's robust enough, which I think has got much better over the years, yeah. then I hope that even if they don't like the decision, at least they can understand that there's been a process. Yes. A pretty rigorous process. So that's one thing. Getting our processes right for selection. That could be anything from our onto a program to a wild card. Yeah. Okay. So that's one area. The second thing, which, and I'll give you an example of it where I think it has worked well again, is communication. Is you just wanted to be spoken to. You mentioned that. You just wanted yeah. to be spoken to when you were British number one doubles player. Yeah. Well, we have to do that. We have to be visible and speak to people. Um, but one, you know, one, one. Two things we've got going this now. We've got player rep groups. Um, and one is for maybe more of the, the top end around, you know, we've got Joe Salisbury at the moment, Luke Bambridge, Harriet Dart, and Katie Swan that sit in our player rep group that we meet quarterly and we talk. And we, we talk about the overall strategy of what we're doing performance LTA, how we're spending our money, how we're making decisions on programs, what how we, you know, what happens with competition and tournaments. So they get information and then it's over to them because they put themselves yep. forward to try and uh, cascade that to the wider playing group. So people have more information. Yeah. During COVID, of course, we were trying to support players. Here's a live example. Um, and we only have a finite amount of money. So we had to have a process by which we could uh, support players and coaches. And there would have been some disappointment time from players maybe lower ranked because at one point we're helping players inside maybe 750 ATP, WTA. But we wanted to go further, but we wanted to explain why we can't move at such pace or offer all the money all of the time. So what we decided to do was we set up another player group for players outside 750 and talk to them. Yeah. And it was they were elected. So they elected one male and one female representative. And we've started to talk to them on a regular basis. Yeah. And it's helped so much because yeah. it's just, giving an understanding both ways of what do you think of that? And they come back and yeah. say, well, it'd be great if you ran some more British tours here or there. This is the draw size yeah. of this. This would be good. And 
What about the tournament bonus yeah. game? People don't really know we're doing that. I mean, could we enhance it a bit? It's tough this night. Okay, we'll think about that. We can explain to them, well, I hear you want to run, you would like us to run four more 25K events next month. But if we run four 25K events, they cost at the moment 60,000 a week for yeah. us to run. It's a quarter of a million. That means we've got to pull back somewhere else. Yeah. It allows a better understanding. So I think selection processes, whatever we're selecting for and communication is two ways yeah. to try and help yeah. you know this this us against them yeah. feeling yeah. that sometimes yeah. exists very good but my, my message to players and parents listening if someone who's been through the system who's been a little bitch and had a little bitch and moan as a player <laughs> as we all as we all have all because right. we all have that it's and it's and it's often you know, it's it's often to mask the pain that we're going through anyway. It's a human, it's a human emotion. You know, we're dealing with a human emotion. Who do we blame? You know, and, and it's an easy target. And and there's lots of defining, there's lots of factors that go in to to making it as a as a tennis player. But the most defining factor is you. Mm. It's you. Yeah. It's and, and it's something I wish to God when I was a player, that I had taken that absolute responsibility, the power, the power of that responsibility, you know, the power of that ownership. And that's hopefully now what I've taken into, into my coaching. It's, it's unbelievably powerful. And I don't see the LTO, any federation globally, has been their duty to produce tennis players. It's not their, it's their duty to support. It's their duty to, you know, to be there and provide opportunity and to, you know, grow, grow the sport and have, you know, good resource in place. But ultimately, and I, and I, and I want to use Paul Jubb as the example, because I've known Jubby since he was eight. Mm. And everything in Jubby's life is aimed towards him not being a tennis player. Everything. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely everything, you know? Yeah. Yet, he's found a way of getting in a position now where he has a chance to be a top 100 ATP tennis player, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's, and it's through ownership, it's through responsibility. And that would be, if I could just, if I could change, I don't have the power, but if I did have the power to change people's views or to, or to, to try and impact the, the British tennis culture, but it's not just Britain. It's, it's all, it's all, it's globally that this is the, this is the issue. Take ownership, get, you know, find, find your own way of doing it. You know, and there will be federations, there'll be sponsors. There's people out there that will absolutely help you when you deserve it. And, you know, you'll find your way, but ultimately you will be the defining factor. And it's, and it's certainly a big pet peeve of mine when I ever hear, and it was actually when I first set up the academy with, because the amount of parents over the years that have bitched and moaned to me about the LTA, the bloody LTA, and I, and I just go, stop, 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 stop. You know, there's absolutely no reason you have no divine right to have any funding you have no divine right to have any wild cards you have no divine right to have anything you know crack on with your own thing so i've gone on a little bit but hopefully some of some people listening might take that message on board a little bit yeah and and i and i think look at the end of the day you know we're also at the lt not going to get everything right i don't know an organization or, or a business who gets everything right um but you know what I hope with through through good communication, talking to people, you know, is that it's not through any 
malice or any yeah. it's 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 all for good intent. We all want the same thing. We all yeah. want tennis to flourish, whether that's having great clubs, uh, you know, having access to courts that we talked about right at the start of the conversation, right all the way through to having more and more players winning on at the top end of elite tennis. That's what we want. Um so again, hopefully through good communication, ongoing communication, yeah. dialogue, transparency, yeah. at least people can get the information. Yeah. And, and last couple of questions, Leon. I, I, I'm sorry to take so much of your time. I'm enjoying chatting to you. Is, in your opinion, the the centralised approach, which has happened over the years, to the decentralised approach, what, in your opinion, which works better within a federation? It's <laughs> uh, a good question, isn't it? It's uh, because I, I I don't think it's one or the other, you know, and it's okay. something that we would we would debate long and hard about is centralized or decentralized so the the thing is that you know whether that's uh national academies or whether it's um regional centers whatever it might be there, there's there, it's kind of a hybrid you know yeah. it's the lta is not employing staff to go to 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 work out of those centers but we are supporting and it's yeah. the way we, we, you know, fundamentally, it's about giving an opportunity to do it in the UK, yeah. to do it in the UK, to have something that can be grown over time so that people can also have careers as well, coaching career, coaching pathway that's in the UK that can work through the player development pathway. It's about trying to make it affordable for, for, for parents, children to get to a certain level, but also it's about you know, setting up centres, whether it's academies or in the younger stages, it's about to try, and you'll be no different in your your academies, the more better players you can get together under one roof, training together more often, seems to create, one, a better atmosphere, and two, the opportunity to accelerate development. Playing against better players who are on a similar journey, yeah. more often, different ages yeah. and stages of sparring, variety of play, how do you play a lefty, how do you play a big server, how do you do this? all starts to, to, to help accelerate development, create more opportunities in training. So those fundamentals, I think, are fair. Um, will, it, will either work? Whether, you know, if you, if you, you know, direct the question purely to LTA, when it was Bath, Loughborough, and there was others before that that were purely LTA run to, that went, I don't know how long they ran for, it was before my time, but then my time was pretty much all through what you'd, Deem is decentralized for, for 10 years yeah. when I started at 2007, 2008, the LTA Battle were closed and it was decentralized yeah. for 10 years. Was there loads of juniors that came out of that after 10, 11 years? People would say, well, it's not enough. Okay, yeah. so but at least it was given 10 or 11 years. Now, yeah. after much, much thought and consideration and a lot of consideration, a couple of years ago, we... Uh, as a performance team and Scott Lloyd a lot of consultation went okay that's been going on for 10 or 11 years here's where we're at we're now going to look at a different direction and we're going to build a new performance pathway and yeah. strategy and now we're two years in but it's two years yeah. the last cycle was 10 or 11 years so we're going to yeah. this was built for a 10 year cycle yeah. so we're, we need to see it will work. I hope it does. Yeah. I believe it yeah. will work, but I yeah. certainly know it needs time. Yeah. And what about 
decentralizing tournaments. So, so when, you know, and I think we've had this discussion or maybe I've had it with Wheeler, or I've had it with different people. It feels like for any tournament to happen in the UK, it, it, there's nobody sticking their hand in there, I guess. So then, so then the organization, the federation seems to have to take that on board. Whereas if, if I go, yeah, Spain's the obvious one because I'm here, they, the federation doesn't have anything to do with the futures events. It tends to be privately, privately run events. And it just feels to me like, again, it's into this whole thing about it's a, the, the negative connotation that comes with it. That there needs to be more tournaments to the LTA. <laughs> Why, why can't we get more private private tournaments put on and which which obviously does happen in other countries look it would be amazing if we could have more tournaments there's no doubt because it gives a, a whole host I don't have to list them off us now yeah. but the main you know main headlines you don't have to travel as much yeah. okay therefore it's cheaper yeah therefore uh, it's more likely you can also take your coaching team well, yeah. and if you travel overseas, yeah. well, I've got to pay for my coach to travel as well. It gives younger players the chance via wildcards to play up more often. Yeah. Um, so, as I said, typically the LTA is pretty much, bar a couple of, 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 of venues, pretty much covering 100% of the, the, the yeah. costs. Whereas maybe, and don't tie me down exact figures, but when I last spoke to some of my counterparts from, from other Slam nations, they're paying between 30 and 50% of the cost because the town either wants to bid and run it because they feel it's good for that local community or whether the club itself uh, as a private entity wants to, wants to host it. Whatever reason we're not having that. And, you know, and then, then because we don't have that, the LTA has to, has to cover it. Otherwise, if we didn't, it's not going to run. Yeah. And it's certainly not going to run it at uh, ranking, ATPWTA ranking level. It might run on a, on a, on a money event. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw, you know, I, I commend people like Barry Filcher doing the progress yeah, to him. Absolutely. Really trying to make something happen. Always trying to make something happen. Yeah. Not easy, but tries all the time. Yeah. We got, you know, we, a real positive from, from COVID period was the UK Pro Series. Yeah. You know, running out of St. George's Hill. Massive opportunity. Massive okay, opportunity. Without pr- massive prize money. I mean, yeah. Over the over that over that COVID summer period, the culmination of whether it was Battle of the Brits and uh, UK Pro Series, Barry Fulcher's Progress Tour, LTA Bridge Tour, it was almost close to one million pounds of prize money over the summer up for offer. It was amazing. Um, so, I think that uh, we would love it if people were coming forward. So I don't. I'm not. A, I don't know exactly. I can't answer exactly. My my feelings are having travelled across the world many, many times over to many different levels of events at different stages, whether it's a, an ITF junior event up to $15,000 event, 25000 challenger events, wherever it might be, is that the, you need clubs thriving, a club environment that's, that, that sees benefit in the restaurant being full, you know, yeah. or they have a relationship with a local hotel that can be full. Uh, they see this value on it. Uh, some of it, of course, is philanthropy, but the the Whatever the, the reason is, we yeah. need to find more partners for that. The more yeah. partners we can find to put the hands yeah. up and say, we'll go halfway with you, yeah. we, can, we can double our tournaments. We can run more yeah. tournaments. Yeah. But right now, it, it, you know, even without COVID, to run a $15,000 single-sex event in a country like ours, which requires indoor tennis a lot, is 37000 
37,000 for every single week. Yeah. Yeah. So the LTA, to be clear, the LTA open to people helping and running private events. Yeah, and it's going on already. I mean, it's yeah. you know, take take the take the the Barry Fulcher example. Always yeah. working good collaboration with our. Yeah. What we don't want is is doubling up in the tournament. We want to create a tournament calendar over the yeah, years, absolutely. creating opportunities yeah. throughout. Yeah. And the and the relationship's really good. But there's only two. You know, that's yeah. that's just two examples. Barry Fulcher, yeah. UK Pro Series event. I think actually, as I'm speaking to you tomorrow, there's meant to be another meeting with them because they want to work with us. When are you running right. events? When are you running events? Let us know, and we'll run them outside of those. Yeah, and it creates more opportunity. So yeah. that's starting to happen now. Good. We would like more, especially when we can do it in conjunction with running pro series events, pro circuits for points. That's what people are looking for. Absolutely. You know, they look at Italy and go, "Oh, Italy, you got you yeah. know challenges on every single week." Well, that's fine, but that's not that's not the Italian federation that's yeah, doing yeah. that. They might be supporting with officials or some of the prize money. If we can have more partnerships, the better. Yeah. So my plea to all these thousands of listeners to, to these podcasts is look, get, get stuck guys. Don't bitch and moan, you know, let's find ways of getting more tournaments. You know, we've, you know, the creation during, during COVID-19, you know, people have started to kind of awaken, I think a little bit, that's been one of the good things about the pandemic, but yeah, let's, you know, let's get, get to it. Why not? You know, if other nations can do it, then we can do it in Britain as well, you know. And I think it would it would massively help help the the whole system. Um, Leo, my my last question before the quick fire: Where do you go next? You know, you look very youthful. Um, I know you've got a couple of years <laughs> on me. You, you've you've already you've already done lots in your career. How do you stay motivated? What happens next to Leon Smith over the next five, 10, 15 years? Uh, I said to you before, I mean, I, I love what I do. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've got a balance between, you know, I'm still Davis Cup captain. So I have that feeling of being around the top end of the game, even though it's happening a bit less throughout the calendar year. So that, that really satisfies my hunger to feel like a coach still, even, yeah. albeit for just a limited number of weeks. Um, the head of men's tennis role, it, you know, has evolved and changed. Uh, we have a new pathway now that I'm very much part of and I've heavily influenced. And I want to see how and, and really help that grow and deliver on it. Yeah. Um, I'm also excited. You know, we have a, we have a, at the LTA, Scott Lloyd, a CEO who I'm really enjoying working with. Um, guy knows tennis inside out steeped in history cares about it i'm enjoying that so it's not even though i've been here for a long time it i'm in a good really good feeling of where we want to go with it and it's hard work it's going to be challenging but we need to have we want to have that challenge so that's where i am future future it's about doing what i'm doing better yep. not doing it the same doing it better expanding my knowledge alluded to it earlier working with people from uh, outside of, of tennis industry trying to build the knowledge so I can do what I can do now better and whatever I do in the future better. I don't know exactly where the career path goes yeah. after this job. I'll have to go somewhere. Can't do this yeah. forever. Yeah. But as long as you keep, I'm, I'm, I'm ex, as long as I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now, which I really am, but also making sure that I am paying attention to developing other areas for whatever I might do uh, yeah down the years but right now very motivated great and what 
let's say you do see out this seven, eight years remaining on the strategic plan. What are your success measures of that plan? Well, ultimately, um, it's about having, you know, continued and more representation at, at the top end of the tour. You know, because if you, if you let something run that long, we, we should see a, a flow. And, and you know, there, there's being, being, being a very respected nation, which is what we want to be, you know, and I could talk about values. I, I would love it if irrespective of whatever figures we want to hit in terms of numbers in the top 100 or, or numbers, you know, of, of players between 100 and 200 or playing grandstand qualities, there's still really important to have that togetherness and team spirit. And I'll keep fighting for that and keep working on it because I think it, it creates something very special. It creates a great feeling across everybody. There's a, there's a feeling of giving back. There's a feeling of, you know, I watch people like Dan Evans hit with younger players. They're amazing. They're amazing at that. And it goes so far. So team spirit, togetherness, more positivity. Yep. But I also understand you get that positivity through results. Some are, are we're supporting very strongly. Some are out of our control. But we're, yep. we have a plan. And if we have more numbers at every stage of the pathway, then it'll be healthier. Great. Well, Leon, I wish you all the very best with it. You've done a done a great job over the last 10 years. I've loved watching from, from afar. Like I say, I'm a Brit in Spain, but I am still very much a, <laughs> very much a Brit. Um, and because you've been so good on the podcast, you get to do the quick fire round now. Oh, yeah. Excellent. So, I don't know what it is, so I'm, I'm going to be surprised. Oh, no. The, so, the, so the listeners know, nobody gets to know the questions before. Okay. So serve or return? Serve. Clay or hard? Clay. Indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. Hearts or hips? Hips. Celtic or Rangers? <laughs> Celtic. Rafa or Roger? Rafa. Davis Cup or ATP Cup? Davis Cup. Oh, Tim, Tim won't be happy with that. <laughs> um, the men's winner at the French Open this weekend? Rafa. Do you think? I just can't see. <laughs> I can't see him beaten. I can't. I watched him last night and I know we're recording this. For you listening, people will get this on Saturday. We're recording this on the Wednesday. And I thought he should have lot well at first set, but he, he just, the conditions don't suit him at all. I can't, I can't see him. If Djokovic gets to the final, he beats Rafael Nadal. Let's, we'll see. I'm going to message you after it then. Yeah, you're we'll commenting. each other. Yeah, you're commentating on it, aren't you? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be on radio. Um, yeah. I've not got the face for TV studio, so <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on radio. And the women's winner. I don't know because of the way the results have gone. Um, pass on that one. It's so open. It's so open now. Even what's happened now, it's so open. Who would have thought a qualifier? A qualifier. You going for Swiatek? A qualifier yeah. like one thirty through to the same. I don't know. Yeah. Pass. Okay, Swiatek's my pick. I've, I've beat. By the way, I've I've changed that. It was Sakari a couple of days ago, but she lost. So I've so I've moved on. And the next world number one in the men's game. Once once the big guns. Have gone. 
I mean, I, I, just okay. I know it's a quick question, but just for clarity, is that are we including? Are you saying young guns? I need an age. No, we're talking uh, young, so young. We're taking out Rafa, Roger, Novak, Andy, okay. Stan. Okay, Who's well, the Dominic next team. one? Dominic team. Dominic team. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about him. Sure, yeah. <laughs> That's why I wanted the clarification because yeah. they, they yeah. always they always seem to be this yeah. general. It gets get skipped over, but it does. But yeah. All the yeah. facts will point to Dominic team. Yeah, they do. And then I think Stitsy Pass might be the next one after that as well. That's um, a good shout. Should should there be an injury timeout or not during the match? Yes. And if you could change one rule in tennis, what would it be? I would let fans in before the third game if they haven't made it in time for the start. That's so annoying. It bugs me. <laughs> it so bugs annoying. me. It bugs me. It bugs even me if I'm running late to get to a match and you know, I've run from one court though to watch another Brit and I've just not got there by the end of the warm up. You're thinking, ah, oh, gonna that's it, three games to go. Brilliant. Yeah. And, and especially at Wimbledon where it's like you've yeah. got to get past about five of them to get in. It's nowhere to stand. It's just no, it's so I would uh, yeah, I would I would do that. I like it. Leon Smith, you've been an absolute legend. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I've loved the chat and, and it's going to be a fantastic listen for many, many people. So thank you for joining us. Dan, thanks very much for having me on. Uh, I think the shows are a great listening. I hope this one uh, ticks the box as well. But thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. A massive thank you to Leon Smith for giving up his time to share his thoughts, his insights, his opinions with us here at Controller Controllables. Hope you guys all enjoyed the, the podcast. Uh, as, as with anyone successful, it's another great example of just be a decent person, just be a good person, you know, deal with people well and you give yourself half a chance to, to go up the ranks wherever you are and, and find happiness and find success. And Leon's another great example of that. I think he's, he's, he's a real inspirational to young British coaches to see that it's out there. You know, it's there to go and get, you know, put the work in, like I say, be a good person. And there's, there's lots of opportunities that potentially can open. So a big shout out to Leon for that. To you guys for continuing to support this podcast I'm loving the the comments, the likes. I know there's a few people I need to get back to and I promise that I will. Um, Thank you for your suggestions and also continue rating, reviewing, getting that podcast out there for everybody to start picking it up that isn't, isn't currently aware that it's out there. That would be greatly appreciated. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend, a wonderful day, wonderful evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you very much from myself, Dan Keenan, my co-host, John McGann. We are Control the Controllables.